be seated. Greg so uh, graciously blessed us all as we move into our time of looking into God's words. So we thank you for that blessing, Greg. <laughs> and the reason the kids are with us, and there is no rise and shine today because it is Labor Day weekend, and uh, on our uh, holiday weekends, we uh, like to give our uh, children's workers a break, uh, which is a much-deserved opportunity for them to catch their breath and rest because we so appreciate all the time and energy they give to serving our kids and our students on Sunday mornings. If you're visiting with us this morning, a special welcome to you. We'd love to get to know you better. Uh, You can help us with that by filling out a Connect card in the seat back in front of you, and you can turn that into one of our uh, Welcome Center hosts or to a staff member that you see in the lobby. Uh, And if you'd be willing to turn in a Connect card, we'd be happy to give you a small gift as our way of saying thank you for coming out to church this morning. Most importantly, though, we'd just love to meet you personally. Uh, Labor Day weekend is uh, a public holiday that is held in honor of working people. Originally, it was really to honor uh, the working class person. I was reading an article written by the New York Times that gave a little background. I just thought it would be fun to share. In the late 1800s here in America, laborers often worked for 12 hours a day, seven days a week, and often in physically demanding, low-paying jobs. Many of them were children, who worked on farms and in factories and in mines, and the conditions were often harsh and unsafe. And it was in this context that uh, workers held their first Labor Day parade marching from New York City Hall on September 5th, 1882. And because it wasn't yet an official holiday, many of the, those who attended the parade risked their jobs by participating as a kind of a, a one-day strike. And they carried signs that read, Less work, more pay. (laughs) Who couldn't get behind that slogan, right? (laughs) They were promoting an eight-hour workday and a prohibition against the use of convict labor, and the article said they were met by cheers from all the people. It was later that President Grover Cleveland made the day a national holiday in 1894. Uh, Some believe as he was facing a crisis of railway workers striking in Chicago. In recent decades, the article concludes, Labor Day has been dominated more by barbecues, sales, and last chance beach days than by labor protests. Except, of course, I'd suggest, unless you're a teacher here in the Sumner School District. (laughs) But we are grateful to God of the news of a tentative agreement that's been reached and that school beginning is normal this week. And so we just pray for God's blessing on our teachers and our kids and for his goodness in allowing us to move forward together. I find it interesting how how God works. Uh, Oftentimes we can't plan the creativity that he brings into our lives and into worship. As we wrap up our series on Unite today, we will be talking about how we can come together as servants or as laborers in God's kingdom. Imagine that on Labor Day. You thought we planned it that way. Maybe this morning we can be asking ourselves a question as we listen to God's word. As you think about your life in Christ, as you think about your participation here at Faith Covenant Church, as you think about uh, where you do spend your time during the week, what, what is your job in God's kingdom? Do you know what your job is? What is your job in God's kingdom? What, 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 what is it that uh, God might be inviting you to see as your labor of love that he might be asking you to consider today or this week or in the season ahead. We've been exploring the importance and really the challenge 
of the biblical concept of unity when it comes to our own experience of discipleship to Jesus. In essence, our unity describes what the church is in its nature. The church is not a building on a corner. It's not a religious business. It's not a spiritual club, although many of those aspects might be a part of how we experience church together. Church, in its essence, the Bible teaches us is a community of diverse Christian people that are united by the shared spirit of God among them. See, when we focus on the building or on the business or the spiritual club aspects of church, we're more often divided in our thinking because it's our own preferences and our own desires that often get the focus and the attention. Yet the Bible clearly says that God's people are to experience a a holy sense of unity together. And in so doing, we bear witness to the love of God for each one of us that he's revealed in his son, Jesus Christ. So what I've been suggesting in this series is that in this new season of ministry ahead, as we launch into the fall and we look forward to where God is leading us as a church, if we desire to strengthen Faith Covenant Church, and if we desire to grow in our spiritual lives personally, we once again need to be seeking what the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians 4, is to make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace, because we are the church together. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of people. We talked about Jesus' call to discipleship last week as we understand what does it mean for us to unite as disciples. And we said in this call, we see very sim- two simple but challenging realities, right? The first one is that as disciples of Jesus, we follow Jesus. <laughs> We're not here to follow Kurt Nothelfer. We're not here to follow our brand of Christianity. We're not here to follow some guru. We're here to follow Jesus. And as we place our priority on Jesus, his priorities become our priorities. And Jesus' priorities were always about people, right? And that's the second thing. As disciples of Jesus, we are called to be disciples who make disciples. And this morning, as we unite as church, And as we unite as disciples of Jesus, I'd like to suggest that Jesus also calls us to unite together as servant leaders, as laborers together for God's kingdom. If Christianity is a team sport where everybody plays, as we've been saying in the series, then we are all called to servant leadership within the kingdom of heaven that Jesus has inaugurated. Now, you may push back and say, well, wait, 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 I'm not really a leader. I don't necessarily have leadership gifts. I'm willing to serve. I'm willing to help. But don't don't put that label leader on me. That just feels really uncomfortable. Let me ask you, just hold on a minute. Let's go a little deeper into scripture because I'd like to suggest, even if you don't see yourself as a leader, in God's kingdom and through the kingdom eyes of Jesus, you are a leader, or at least you can be. But first, we have to take that kingdom of God perspective, because in Christ, what I think we're going to see this morning is that we all actually lead by serving. See, if you serve, then you are leading by example. And the Bible clearly teaches us that that's the kind of leadership that Jesus employed in his ministry. He led by example and then told his disciples to follow him and do what he had done. Love one another in the same way that I have loved you. See, as disciples of Jesus, we're all called to follow Jesus. And as we unite ourselves in discipleship to following him, we are all able to lead by the example of serving in our lives. 
Now, Jesus' first disciples kind of struggled to get this concept, and you know, they were a little dense sometimes, and uh, sometimes they're kind of shockingly, uh, you know, off page with Jesus. And today we're going to read uh, part of the story in Luke chapter 22, which is the story of the Last Supper, right? You can imagine Jesus has walked with his disciples for several years. He's ministered. They've seen miracles. They believe that he is the Messiah promised of God. They have this amazing Last Supper, and he breaks the bread and says, this is my body broken for you. And he pours the cup and says, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. And, 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 and in the side, they're arguing over who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom of God. <laughs> can you imagine what Jesus is thinking at the moment? Oh, my goodness, you guys. Chapter 22, verse 24, it says, A dispute also arose among them as to which of them was considered to be the greatest. Jesus said to them, The kings of the Gentiles lorded over them, and those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors. But you are not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest, and the one who rules like the one who serves. For who is greater, the one who is at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who is at the table? But I am among you as one who serves. So Jesus, in his kingdom mindset, with his perspective on the world, takes the values and the priorities of his disciples and the values and the priorities of our humanity in this world, and he flips them upside down and he turns them on his head. And Jesus is saying to his disciples, and he's saying to us this morning through God's word, that when you serve someone, you are exercising kingdom-style leadership. Let me say that again. When you serve someone, you are exercising kingdom-style leadership because you're leading by example in the same way that Christ did. Becoming a servant leader is really the opposite of a a more self-centered, taker, consumer-oriented person that is conditioned to climb the ladder of success and to grab all that we can get out of life. Instead, it sees itself as having a responsibility to, to give away the gifts that God has given us to be a blessing to others. And what we discover, according to the Bible, is that it's a life that finds its deepest purpose and its greatest joy in sacrificial generosity in giving itself away. See, we discover that true generosity, think about it, true generosity is what allows us both to appreciate the gifts that we have in this life more and to hold the things of this life more loosely. True generosity that gives itself away is what allows us to both appreciate the gifts of this life more and to hold the things of this life more loosely. According to Jesus, the life of a servant is the path to true spiritual freedom. Let me say this one more time. According to Jesus, the life of a servant is the path to true spiritual freedom. How many of you would like more spiritual freedom in your life this morning? I know I would. And Jesus' word to us this morning is a reminder that often we get our priorities backward when it comes to how we pursue happiness and success and meaning and purpose in this life. And and some of these biblical concepts are so simple if we just remind ourselves of what Jesus taught and yet we get off track so easily. Is it possible for us this morning that we, like those first disciples who had many adventures in missing the point, continue to miss the very things that would lead to our own experience of greater happiness and fulfillment in our lives. 
See, the Bible tells us that the more freely we're able to give ourselves in service to others, the more our own hearts will be filled by the Spirit and the power of God who, who, who gives us of His love in our hearts to, to be able to do what Jesus has called us to do. Let, let's do a little uh, imagination exercise, okay? I just thought this would be fun this morning. Imagine with me for a moment, if you think about your experience of church here at Faith Covenant Church, if we were to compare it to a restaurant, Okay, you're invited uh, to come to a a dinner party at uh, Faith Covenant Church Restaurant, uh, and and you you come into the the room where the dinner's being held, and you see all kinds of guests sitting around at the table, and there's uh, servers running around taking orders and getting drinks, and and, and as you're imagining this picture, let me just ask, are you there as a guest or one of the servers? I don't know about you, but I would imagine myself coming as the guest, right? Where's my seat at the table? Where am I going to sit down? And Jesus is saying, in the kingdom of God, your, your first instinct would be to say, well, of course, I'm there as one of the servers. But that's not our natural human tendency. We wouldn't go there first. We want to, you know, have the best seats at the table. We want to, you know, be able to order our tickets online so we can choose our seats in advance, Right? What if we could uh, take Jesus' story and, and kind of reimagine it and say Jesus is the head waiter and we are all called to serve tables with Jesus? You see, in Jesus' time, it probably would have been more likely that the dinner party would have been in somebody's home and the family household servants would have been all the people who are running around attending all the guests, right? If we imagine a large dinner party with many guests and the service bustling around and we imagine the scene through Jesus' kingdom of heaven eyes, who would we say are the most honored people at the party? It would be the servers, right? It would be those who are, are, are living the example of looking to the needs of others. Now, if we imagine, again, our church services here on Sunday morning or some of the ministries that we participate in during the week, as Dick shared a a long list of new ones that are starting, if we think about all the many guests and the many servants bustling about, who, who would be the most honored people at the party according to Jesus' kingdom of heaven eyes? It would be those people who are faithfully serving, right? It'd be the people faithfully caring for our children and students each week, which is why we give them a break on holidays. It's the people faithfully coming early to make the coffee and to greet the guests as they arrive. It's the people faithfully practicing and preparing the music each week and and making sure the sound and the audio and the lights are, are wonderful for us. It's the teachers and small group leaders who are faithfully preparing a feast of God's word and God's community for us during the week. It's the tireless volunteer leaders who donate hours and hours of their personal time to plan and oversee the ministries of the church and making sure that we're on track with God's word and with healthy financial responsibility and all the things that go into having a healthy, vital faith community. Now, let me quickly say, there's much praise for our staff members. And, and, and they participate in all of these things as well. And I, I just want to shout out that we have an incredibly dedicated, hardworking, talented staff here at Faith Covenant Church. And I couldn't be more proud to be working with any other group of true servant-hearted leaders. 
And there's a lot of passages in the Bible that we can get into that talk about what are the qualifications of good Christian leadership and, and how do we honor those in our midst who are, who are elders in the church. But, but I want to suggest for us this morning, as we, as we look through the lens of Jesus' kingdom of heaven eyes, that the great honor also goes to those faithful volunteers who are unpaid, who do it out of the generosity of their heart, who faithfully and generously sacrifice time and energy in our midst without pay and often without any recognition. Jesus says these people have equal, if not perhaps even greater honor. Now, I, I also want to admit that as I look at our ministries and our leadership and our church, I think we can do a much better job of helping you all find ways into more serving opportunities and into leadership opportunities in our church. And that's part of our responsibility to be able to equip the people of God for the work of the ministry. And it's also part of this tension that I've had around this question of discipleship. And are we really able to cut through the clutter of the busyness of church life and ensure that all of us are experiencing a life-transforming walk with Jesus? Because part of our job is to help one another stay on the discipleship pathway. And we're actively talking about this and working on this, and we're going to be addressing this more in this ministry season. But I also think that the reality that we see in God's word is that we each share the responsibility to become intentional about finding our place of service in God's kingdom, about asking God, what's my job and what do you want me to do? Because we're all part of the family of God and Christianity is a team sport where everybody plays. We've also said serving the church is not first and foremost about serving the organization, but often serving the organization of the church can be a simple, easy first step into learning your skills and how to serve and finding ways that God wants you to grow and serve. Ultimately, serving is about following Jesus as his disciples and responding to his call to love those that he would call us to love. In doing so, serving people in Jesus' name is what we're really talking about. It's about serving real people with real faces, with real names and real lives and real stories who are often really messy and really beautiful at the same time. The Apostle Paul said it this way in Philippians 2, verses 1 through 5, and I think we're going to have this for you on the screen as well. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ... If any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but rather in humility value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but, to e but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ. See, follow Christ's example. And then he goes on to explain uh, in this Christ hymn, right, how Christ left his throne in heaven and became one of us for the sake of modeling the kind of sacrificial generosity that it takes to live a life of servant leadership. So all of this now brings us back to the original point. When you serve someone, you're exercising kingdom-style leadership because you're leading by example. And in leading by example, you're leading like Jesus. And in leading like Jesus, you're becoming a true disciple 
of Jesus. All of this is a part of the discipleship pathway. And if we want our church to grow, if we want our spiritual lives to grow, we need to be on the pathway of service with Jesus. Now, for many of us, that will be serving here in the church. For many of us, it will be serving in our homes and and serving our spouse in a new way or serving our kids in a new way. For some of us, it'll be God will call us to say, how can I serve my coworkers in my place of employment? Or how can I serve my fellow students in school right there in my classroom? All of that is a part of our discipleship to Jesus, and it's a part of being the church together. It's a life that finds its deepest purpose and greatest joy in sacrificial generosity, in giving itself away to others, and in the name of Jesus Christ, whom we follow as our example. Now, each of us also has our own sphere of influence, and some of us may be examples just within a small context of friends, and others may be called to preach on Sunday mornings and do other things with larger groups of people. But it's not how many people, it's whether we're on the pathway and we're choosing to be obedient to where God would lead us. So if you're feeling at all convicted or uh, would like to explore more, how do you get on to the serving path with Jesus on this Labor Day? I'd like to suggest that we could start by simply asking God a few simple questions. God, what's my job? God, where do you want me to serve? Or, or, or perhaps more importantly, who do you want me to serve? Is there a particular name of a person that God would put on your heart? Is there a t- particular group of people that, that God would have you serve? Is there a particular need in the community that God puts on your heart that would lead you to serve there? Is there a specific ministry in the church? God, who and where do you want me to serve? Because I believe, like the Bible says, we don't know because we don't ask, right? We don't get because we don't ask. Jesus says, ask and you will receive. I believe that if we faithfully come to God with an honest desire to know the answer, he will give us an answer of where he would like us to serve. So how does this process work? Step one, ask Jesus where he wants you to serve. Step two, listen to the voice of his spirit. And then, of course, step three, which is often the hardest, respond in obedience. Go and get started. Now, you can contact someone here in the church in leadership. You can talk to me. Again, I love to go out for Starbucks, and we can help you with the process. Sometimes it takes a while to to, to discern where the voice of of God is in your life, and, and, and that's okay. Sometimes with Jesus, it's more about the journey than the destination. But you see, our job is to not get quick, easy answers, but to be earnestly seeking the answers that matter. Our job is simply to be following Jesus on the journey. Are you ready to unite as a church? Are you ready to unite as disciples? Are you ready to unite as servant leaders? You're not all that enthusiastic. (laughs) Just giving you a hard time. My command is this, Jesus said, love each other as I have loved you. Let us unite our hearts today and in the season ahead to be the church together. Let us unite our hearts together in the season ahead to be genuine disciples that are on the journey with Jesus. And let us unite our hearts in the season ahead to be committed to lead by serving one another in the name of Jesus. And let's let God's Spirit bless us as we live out the calling he's given us to be his church in this place. Amen? Let's pray. Holy God, 
as I was preparing this message this week, I, I couldn't help but uh, be reminded of and being struck by the words of, of John the Baptist. When, when after G his disciples left him to follow Jesus, and some people were concerned uh, about the fairness of that, he said, he must increase and I must decrease. He must increase and I must decrease. God, that's my prayer for myself this morning. And it's my prayer for each one of us here at Faith Covenant Church. God, would, would you increase your presence and your power in our lives and allow us to step back following you and to trust that you can build into us the courage, the knowledge, the strength, the power that we need to be able to live out this calling that you've given us. And bring us together as your body in this place. Unite us through the bonds of the spirit of peace so that we can know that your love resides here and that we can be a testimony to the world that your love is available for all people everywhere. We ask this in Jesus' name.